five years later, going on six years, I am still captivated by the more and more of the the centrality of the Eucharist in Scripture and the church fathers and like the saints and just it is ever growing. You can never it's incomprehensible. You know, it's like it's ever deepening Jesus' love for us and the the power that is in the Eucharist. Welcome to the I Am Here podcast, a space to be inspired by stories of men and women who have found in the Eucharist the strength and purpose for their lives. I'm your co-host, Leah Butalid, and I've been gathering stories for IamHere.org. And I'm Father Mario Amori, a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit. And today we welcome Jordan Beachnow to share his story. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you so much, Father Mario and Leah. It's great to be with you guys. We're so glad to have you here on the podcast. This is a blessing. Dive into your story a little bit more. Um, just so our listeners can get to know you a little more, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your home parish here in Detroit and um, yeah. your community there? Yeah, so I'm a parishioner at uh, National Shrine of the Little Flower Basilica in Royal Oak. Um, and we're, me and my wife are part of the community build team there. And uh, my wife is also a fertility care practitioner. So she is very active in the parish with marriage prep as well. Um, and then uh, we are still pretty active at St. Mary Royal Oak because Father Paul Snyder is our, our, our he's our homie. So, <laughs> so I'm still like I'm still lecturing there here and there. And then nice. uh, my wife is Chaldean as well, so we know a lot of Chaldean priests. And so, um, uh, not to get you might ha- ask questions about family, but I do. Ha- <laughs> we just had our second child. We had a son, yeah. so we have uh, our oldest Zelly. She'll be two next month in April. Um, and then my son, Augustine, he's a month and he was just baptized and confirmed oh in the Chaldean, right? So wow. um, little active, but yeah, National Shrine of the Little Flower is our home. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> beautiful. And there's a big, beautiful side of you that's uh, been welcomed into the Chaldean yeah. family now. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 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 and so you've been married, uh, what, two years? Three uh, years? Three years. Now? Okay. Yep. Great. Wow. Yep. Three years and three months. Three years and <laughs> two little ones. Yeah, yeah praise God. Praise and there, God. that's a testimony in itself. So Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. It's a blessing. Very cool. And uh, what do you do? I am a CPA. I, I'm in the audit practice at Deloitte & Touche. Okay. Um, been there for since two, 2015, so coming up on eight years. Wonderful. Yeah. Very cool. And um and so prior to doing that, y- you you have a bit of a um, collegiate athletic career, is that yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it was short lived, um, unfortunately, due to some injuries. But God was working in the midst of that. But yeah, okay. I played uh, football at Grand Valley from 2010 to 2014, um, and uh, had two major ACL surgeries on the same knee, and was battling through that for the four years. And ultimately, the the program offered me a, what's called a medical hardship. So oh. you can still retain your scholarship, but you you basically say you're never gonna play NCAA football again. Mm-hmm. And so I did that, which was a huge blessing to be able to get that and still continue my studies. And I actually wouldn't have been able to do accounting um, with football because the classes always conflicted with football and there's only like you know a couple classes in the afternoon that oh. always conflicted. So I was a finance major. Mm-hmm. And when I freed up time with football, I switched to accounting, which ultimately got me to Detroit because I wanted to be out in the wet, like in Grand Rapids, <laughs> where I went, you know, being close proximity to the mm-hmm. beach and Grand Haven and then the cool city of Grand Rapids. That was kind of my goal. But uh, ultimately, the accounting degree got me an opportunity in a bigger office in Detroit. And that ultimately started my conversion story because if I didn't come to Detroit, my sister never would have <laughs> been inviting me to an RCI program. Oh my gosh. And, uh, yeah, none of this would have happened. I wouldn't be here if that didn't happen. So praise God. Because during that, those injuries too, it fell into depression and just like continued just like even more and more of my brokenness that I 
kind of came into college with, but that also just kind of magnified it a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that season of your life, um, kind of being confronted with this huge change in expecting to, you know, play college or play college football yeah. for the rest of your time? Yeah. There and then so, uh, I yeah, during that time I was confronted with my just like own weakness and just like the the shallowness of my relationships too, because I recognized like after I had my knee injuries, the people that I was partying with didn't really come to visit me or anything like that. It was just kind of me sitting up in my room with the machine, <laughs> pulling my leg back and forth. And, uh, and then um, I did start, I picked up the Bible again and tried to do what I did, you know, probably a few times before that of, I'm going to read it from Genesis to Revelation. And by the time I got to Leviticus, I'm like, ah, oh, no. it was tough. You <laughs> Too know? much. And I started going to, a, I did start going to a non-denominational church in Grand Rapids, though. Um, and that was, it was great, it was beautiful. But ultimately, I just knew that there was more, like something wasn't right. And they, you know, they taught things that were just directly contrary to Scripture. And, um, and that just didn't seem right. So I actually when I, after that, probably was in that, you know, that church for like a year, kind of going in and out of a lifestyle of like, I'm not never partying and I'm always going to go to church yeah. versus back mm -hmm. into the party life and mm -hmm. all those things. And then um, after that, I actually started going to different denominations mm -hmm. and I was like, Episcopalian seems great. Like they could just, they'd let me get to receive their bread. <laughs> like the Catholics <laughs> don't, and they seem traditional <laughs> and like, this is great, but still something was just missing and nothing like really kind of stuck, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I was just kind of in and out of that lifestyle. And then um, that was in 2014, 2015, got my master's and my CPA, hmm. and then received uh, a full-time offer at Deloitte to start in the fall of 2015. So moved to Detroit um, and just all the same things of just like, I'm going to be a partner. I'm going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> it was just greed and more so just like the, kind of the same things, but more of a professional way than sure. what it was in college. <laughs> and so uh, we started going, me and my sister, we started going to a, a really big mega church mm -hmm. in uh, Troy, Michigan. Um, and that just seemed even more like something was missing. Like it was just, it was cool to see the community aspect of it, right? Like people, like they love each other and you're having coffee and you're praising and worshiping together, which we love praise and worship. Um, but ultimately just something was missing, mm. not knowing that it was gonna be found in the Catholic faith mm. because during all that time I was building up a lot of like anti-Catholic beliefs or um, just misconceptions and sure. and just getting even more and more solidified in that, you know, of, and then my sister in the fall of 2016, she was like, hey, I've never been baptized, I've never, had a relationship with Jesus and I want to be, I want to have the faith that my family has. Cause at that time, you know, her, her husband is Catholic, was Catholic. And so she wanted to be Catholic and she was like, do you want to do it with me? I was like, heck no. <laughs> Catholics are crazy. Um, what was your faith life yeah. like growing up, like in your family? Yeah. Anything, yeah. Take a big step back real quick. Yeah. So I, I was baptized, um, when I was at the age of four in Lansing, Michigan, where I was born and raised. Um, but really like after that day, mm -hmm. it was really not a faith that we practiced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We never went to church. We never went to mass. I had n no idea about the sacraments. So you were um, baptized Catholic? We were baptized Catholic. Okay. Yep. Yep. My dad's side of the family, all Catholic, you know, and so I was baptized Catholic with my cousin and at the age of four and, but not, we didn't, practice before or after that is just mm -hmm. kind of like the thing that we did from a cultural perspective. And then I would even say too, like we, I was kind of like a practical atheist. Like it mm -hmm. almost seemed safe to say, I believe in God. And mm -hmm. really I, I would always say that. Mm -hmm. Um, but we didn't ever do anything. I didn't know who Jesus was. I seriously didn't even know the difference between Christmas and Easter at one point. Like sometimes we'd go to like a Easter play 
at a non-denominational or Baptist church because that's kind of what everybody did. But mm-hmm. um, there was nothing that we actually practiced. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. So then you moved into your college years. College years. And you were seeking, it seems? Yeah, I think I was... Um, yeah, I think I was seeking in the midst of like my brokenness. Like I knew I could, I wouldn't be able to put the, you know, my finger on my all my wounds and the lies I had believed and all those things that Jesus was doing. It was more so just like, well, there's has to be more. It's kind of like an emotional, you know, reaction of mm-hmm. just my brokenness and frailty and like the relationships that we're in were like, well, maybe I can find a great community and like a church and they're mm-hmm. kind people. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I was kind of in and out of that church throughout college. Mm-hmm. Can you think back to that time and that sense of something missing that you were experiencing? What was that like for you? Did you just, you know, walk out of church and have a sense of that in your mind? Or did you desire something that wasn't happening there? What was it yeah. that you were seeking? It just seemed so kind of fragile and like what they're mm-hmm. what they're preaching because each church that I went to they had preached something different mm-hmm. and each one would be you know saying that they're following the Bible or preaching from the Bible and so there was like this just contention of like well how do I know that this pastor is telling me mm-hmm. what the Bible is actually saying and you mm-hmm. know and so it was just kind of that contention within that Protestant world that I was starting to more and more get involved in. Sure. Would you say um, as you kind of fell into this place of despair, as mm-hmm. you say, after mm-hmm. after the injury. Um, was it was it sort of apparent for you? Like, were you searching for this sense of identity? It seems like probably for somebody who yeah. is like, th- that sports is so much a part of your lives, playing, yeah. playing football, your identity was as, you know, this uh, rough and tough football <laughs> player. And then kind of your world yeah. is, kind of shattered as you're mm-hmm. kind of lying here and um, yep. rehabilitating. Yeah. yeah. And I probably still would say it was probably like an unconscious seeking of identity. Like mm-hmm. I think we all are, whether we want to say that or not. But for sure at that time, that is what my identity was, was mm-hmm. athletics and um and that and it was kind of taken away from me so then it was hard to and even with athletics grew a lot of pride and arrogance Mm -hmm. and other vices that came with not saying that sports leads to vice but just like it kind of boosted my ego so to speak you know and a lot of other things can follow from pride and envy we know it's like pride is like you know kind of the beginning of all sin Mm -hmm. and so just had a lot of brokenness and ultimately became like addicted to certain things too and like never thought I'd be able to really break free from those certain manifestations I guess Mm -hmm. of the lies and wounds that I had and how they were portraying themselves like out in the party scene and stuff like that you Mm -hmm. know so um but yeah I was definitely at least unconsciously seeking a new identity you know and so your sister starting RCIA yeah. invites you yep. <laughs> and your initial reaction, no way, Catholics yeah, no are crazy. Way. Catholics are crazy. They're not biblical. Oh they do goodness. things that aren't, you know, that aren't true or real. <laughs> and uh, ultimately she was like, well, it's seven months long. You don't owe anybody anything. And you can just come to support me if you want to start. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And oh. then even the first, it wasn't even the, a class yet. It was just a tour of St. Mary's with Father Paul. And he was saying like all the imagery of, of the church and then he's he got to the pulpit and was like you know around the world we have the same readings throughout the world every day you know 
every single church in the Roman Rite mm-hmm. has the same readings. I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. Like the continuity, the unity, mm-hmm. the the Catholicity, you know, the mm-hmm. universality of the church. And then just, it was so beautiful. That still, that didn't, that it was kind of a me opening my heart to it. Like, okay, well, that's, that's cool. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But Scott Hahn, <laughs> church fathers, uh, Catholic Answers, and mm. Father John Ricardo, and all of these resources I was listening to, and Bishop Barron, and Father Mike Schmitz, and mm-hmm. all of the, I mean, it was pretty, it was amazing. It was mm. a whole new world, and like scripture became alive because wow. it wasn't just like these little verses that you pick and pull. It was a full story of like God's love for us and mm-hmm. ultimately being fulfilled in Jesus. And he founded a church and the Eucharist, the priesthood, marriage, like it's just so beautiful. And, but it was still all headspace, you know, like Easter of 2017 uh, was confirmed, First Communion, and, uh, you know, received the Eucharist that night. And mm-hmm. I fully believe, like, this is this is the church that Jesus started. Um, everything that teaches is true. And Jesus is here present in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. But it really was, like, all headspace. Like, I still had a ton of vices that I was still practicing, you know, and still doing and and I struggled with a lot of like the moral teachings that still wasn't like hitting me yet um but over the course of that summer of 2017 I started going to mass more and more not just like more on Sundays but like throughout the week I'd try to go and um ultimately like my heart just started radically changing mm-hmm. of just seeing like relationships different I was in a broken relationship at the time and it was like this is not healthy <laughs> this isn't mm-hmm. good um and then my heart for like, I saw myself differently. I saw each person differently. I didn't want to just like, you know, use somebody or pride, pridefully kind of compare myself to other people. But I authentically started like having just an emotional like conversion of like, wow, Mm -hmm. like God loves that person right there that's on the street corner um, just as much he loves me or the Mm -hmm. next person. And, And so, my heart just started radically changing through the sacraments of that summer of 2017. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of not only conversion, but I think mm-hmm. just the RCIA process. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so you you showed up as, you know, kind of somebody who was interested, wanted to see where it was going to go. And what the beauty of the process is, is that you you begin in, in what's called the... Uh, just like the inquiry stage. Like, I'm, yep. I'm just here to kind of <laughs> see what this is all about. And then um, just how things kind of gradually uh, just opened up for you and how, how the Lord and how the Holy Spirit was just working in your life um, up to um, just being fully initiated into the church, but then even more after, mm-hmm. once you're um, uh, just immersed in the sacramental life of the church, um, in in scripture and and in all of those resources that that you said um so we really see how just how the holy spirit works and how just how patient god is with us like you said you know things didn't change Mm -hmm. you know um dramatically on that night yeah when you were welcomed into the church um like you were you you were still dealing with uh virtue and vices yeah um and that's how that's how patient God is with us yeah and how just it's a testament to that the fact that we're all like works in progress and we're striving for um, saints we're not there yet yeah but but God is working yeah. um, so you, you come to this point you know uh, even a few years later where you begin to see things differently as you as you say mm-hmm. um, so what what changes for you as you begin to see relationships differently as you begin to see yourself differently yeah 
it was an entire worldview shift because I kind of like viewed the world as like just kind of like a power play and I'm kind of part of that story of just like I want to be successful and I want to be uh you know popular I want to and in order to do those things you have to do certain things but so it was a performance-based mentality it was a self you know being critical of myself being critical of others where when you encounter the love of Jesus and you recognize that he loves you in the midst, you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies with God, Christ died for us. And so when you encounter that love, there's your entire mind and your heart and your eyes shift and how you see people. And I no longer wanted to just associate myself with the popular or associate myself with the people at the bar on Thursday nights. Um, or in my St. Patty's Day <laughs> certainly looks different now. <laughs> and and uh, um, but I authentically started to see people. I mean, I remember at times where I was just telling my mom because my my parents weren't practicing any faith yet at this point. I just anytime I would start talking about Jesus, I'd just start crying, mm. and like how much He loves us, and like sobbing. Mm. <laughs> and uh, um, and then I saw just I want to serve the poor. I wanted to love the person and, you know, to associate with the lowly, as St. Mm. Paul says. Like, I wanted to be there and to serve. And I think uh, I love evangelizing, but evangelizing wasn't like, now I'm Catholic, now I evangelize, and then I love the poor. It was literally a heart transformation that made me love the lowly first. Wow. And from that came evangelization. You know, it wasn't like a, I have to work my evangelization muscle. It was like my heart was transformed. I saw people differently wow. and out of love for them, then evangelization flo like flowed yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now flows <laughs> out of his love for me. And so, um, yeah, yeah. Wow. So during this time, you're, you know, like you said, having a huge worldview shift, going yeah. through all these lifestyle <clears throat> changes. Um, can you talk a little bit about your sense of Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist? Do you talk about, you know, going back to mass daily? And um, I don't know if adoration was part of your habit yeah. at this time, but mm -hmm. what was your sense of his presence in the Eucharist and how did you interact with him? Yeah. In that way? So the, the first time I, my first communion, it was like I said, like kind of all had space and what's beautiful too, just really quick too, like people think like, oh, I had at Easter, I had all the theological understandings and the correct propositions and understood the real presence of the Eucharist. Like five years later, going on six years, I am still captivated by the more and more of the, the centrality of the Eucharist in scripture and the church fathers and like the saints and just, it is ever growing. You can never, it's incomprehensible. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's ever deepening. Jesus' love for us and the the power that is in the Eucharist, um, but at the so it was all headspace then, and it's uh, and it's an ever conversion even now. But um, adoration wasn't there yet. Mm. Right after my conversion, though, I got active. I was a I was a director of finance for young Catholic professionals, okay. and uh, Father Patrick Gagno was our chaplain, and we did a lot of adoration nights together as a team. And that was kind of the introduction to adoration is with, with that team and, and being able to, to pray out loud and um, be in a community around the Eucharist was really powerful. Yeah. Um, and that is probably where I first started like hearing Jesus's voice mm -hmm. for myself, for other people and, um, and his vision for our ministry, you know, my family life and whatever may have been. And I say family life, but that's just more so just like my mom and dad at that point, like uh, that because in 
the fall of 2017, by that time, my heart was so radically changed. And like I was telling you about my vices and addictions and bad habits, I never thought I would be able to break, started to break. Um, And I felt so radically changed that I was like, the priesthood is beautiful. (laughs) I want to be, I want to, I want to, so I was doing discernment weekends here at the seminary and um, in the spring of 2018. And I started telling my family like, hey, Think I'm going to be a priest, and wow. um, I was like, and then people are telling me like, "Hey, you haven't even been in the church for a year yet. How about, <laughs> <laughs> how about, how about we take a step back?" But I was like, "No, I think this is what I want to do and need to do." But even in the midst of that, uh, it was a beauty of a desire of the Eucharist and the sacraments, which all flow from Christ's uh, unification Himself to the to the priests. That was a beautiful desire. Aww. But behind that was still a lie that I was believing that because of my broken relationships, because of my past, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to be a good husband and father. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like ruled that out from myself, so to speak, is like, well, I just can't be that because of my past. And so mm-hmm. um, how beautiful is it that God's redemption is like, no, in spite of your past, in spite of your brokenness and your sins, this is precisely how I'm going to even more fully heal you and conform you to my son and to show you how much how lo- how loved and that you are wow. you know um so and that all flowed really from adoration from with ycp is like that's where it first started and then started going to daily mass and helping father father paul with adoration and thank you jesus for father paul snyder mm-hmm. doing that every day you know because um, he was he got named the pastor there i think in 2015 or 16 and he and you know brought that to the parish at saint mary's where 6.30 to 7.20 before 7.30 Mass every day is going to be adoration. Wow. And that was just really powerful, just to be in the presence of Jesus every single day. Um, and that is where that culminating with communion, I mean, that's where a lot of healing happened. Wow. So in the midst of this time, mm-hmm. you meet a beautiful woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. what happens? So actually, uh, sorry if it's a little from the timeline perspective, sometimes they're going back. But Napoli and I, my, my wife, Napoli, uh, we actually met in college in 2014 and 15. We lived in the same apartment complex and we were really just f- totally friends amongst friends. We looked out for each other. It was an, a rougher area of Grand Rapids. Um, so we really just looked out for each other. We did not keep in touch at all after summer of 2015. She, I don't even know where she lived or wow. what she was doing. I moved to Detroit had this radical conversion a few years later in 2017, got involved with YCP. Then uh, in November of 2017, here comes Napoli to a YCP event. And at that time, my heart dropped. And I I, I didn't know how to explain it. It was just like, oh, like, I know you. (laughs) But because at that time I was like, uh, that's when like kind of the thoughts of the priesthood more and more like was attractive to me. So then we just became really, really good friends. Um, I w- during my discernment weekend uh, to discern the priesthood, I was called Napoli because she's discerned religious life before. Mm-hmm. And like she like she is just an, a radical disciple and um, she's just so awesome. So I would call her from the seminary, like oh. outside of my spiritual director. She was my <laughs> oh. <laughs> she's like who I'd call. Like I trusted her and she was my friend. And so um, and so even in the midst of that, my like in the even during the discernment weekends and things like that, in the spring of 2018, when all this is happening, my heart and I feel like Jesus is bringing up more and more things about marriage, but I'm like, these must be words for somebody else because I don't think they're for me, you know? And 
uh, Napoli ended up inviting me to go on the Camino de Santiago, the way of St. James in Spain. And there was Father Paul Snyder, and uh, there's a group of total of 16 of us. And um, that was in June mm-hmm. of that, that year. And uh, no, it was July, I'm sorry, J- July of that year. And before we went, there was four of us, me, Napoli, and two others. We went to par- parts of France, Paris, Lisieux, and Lourdes. And in Lourdes, I had a powerful encounter with Mary. Mm-hmm. And she revealed things about me to be a husband and father. She revealed things about my family. And like I said, my parents weren't practicing anything. And she said, love them and pray the rosary every day for them. And my parents came into the church the together the next Easter. Oh my gosh. So the power of the rosary and Mama Mary is no joke. Yeah. Um, but uh, so that's where my heart like fully accepted like what Jesus continued to slowly and slowly reveal about marriage is like, okay, like I'll, I'll do that, you yeah. know? So Napoli and I started dating shortly thereafter. And it was really awesome too, because on the Camino, it no longer became a, oh, Jesus, what's your will for me about the priesthood for 11 days straight while walking 160 miles? It was, <laughs> it was all these like wounds and traumas that I've experienced that Jesus was like, I want to heal this. And like, just, it was so much more vulnerable with the Lord as opposed wow. to me limiting him to, well, this is what I came to do is to discern the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So it was really beautiful that that God set that up there, or Mary would say something to me before I even go on the Camino, where mm-hmm. my heart would be fully open to even more healing and what he wants to do. And, you know, a year and a half from that, when, when me and Napoli got married, the eve of the Immaculate Conception in 2019. And so, um, yeah, God is so good. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. And so now you've kind of mentioned um, your, I, I mean, you and Napoli both are radical disciples for Jesus and um, share this devotion to Jesus in the Eucharist. Can you share a little bit about practically what that looks like? I know you've got two little ones. Yeah. How do you yeah, live this now. Eucharistic <laughs> life um, yeah. as radical disciples in your vocation at yeah. this time. And I want to share uh, just a little bit of the different seasons in our life too, because I think it might be helpful to people yeah. for people to hear this. Because right when Napoli and I got married, um, COVID hit. And oh. so you didn't even have access to adoration in person. The closest you could get is that shrine they had, they set up adoration right outside. So there was like Jesus in the window mm-hmm. and you'd be in the parking lot in your car. That was like the closest you got. Um, but during that time, we would flip on adoration on YouTube, like just live Eucharistic adoration every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was awesome. That was beautiful. But w- that first time when uh, parishes started opening back up to go to Mass, like it was almost like a second conversion. Like that first time receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, I saw people different again. Mm-hmm. Not that I like w- like fell off of my faith or anything like that. I was still pretty on fire, but but it was just more so like, the ever deepening like love of Jesus. So that real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is not something to watch from home. Mm. Jesus is inviting us to intimacy with him, you know, that is, it's so beautiful to be able to be in person in adoration and, and come to mass, um, in person, you know, so thank God we're, you know, past that season in 2020. Um, and we didn't have any kids at that time. And so once that opened back up, it was adoration and mass almost every day. And then once we had our daughter Zelly, and the it was actually Easter of 2021, um, it changed a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So we would go to adoration here and there if we could. And then um, for myself, I would still try to go each day. But like with a family, it's just tough. It's mm-hmm. 6:30 a.m. At, sh- at Shrine Mass can be tough to get up a full family. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but still to this day, like 
we put on Eucharistic adoration on our TV and we're a half mile away from shrine. So we stop in as much as we can. And, um, and then once we just had, you know, Augustine uh, in early February, um, we, we try to go and it's about five minutes, <laughs> you know, it can't, it can't be long. And, yeah. uh, Zelly is, she loves Jesus in the Eucharist, you know, mm -hmm. like she, oh. the first place she goes up to is the altar and she touches the altar makes the sign of the cross. And she says, hi to TT. That's Therese. <laughs> and, um, and so, and she sees that in her mom, you wow. know, of like, that's Jesus, mm -hmm. you know? So she, um, she already has like that hunger for Jesus in the Eucharist right now at mass too. She like holds out her hand or like opens up her oh. mouth to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Like someday, sweetheart. Someday. <laughs> in your story, you mentioned, um, as have a few people whom we've interviewed, um, there was a time in your relationship that you uh, were experiencing infertility and you thought that mm. was, that was going to be a part of, yeah. of, of your life and your relationship together. Um, and you mentioned how that was going to Eucharistic adoration was a source of, of comfort yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, can you just talk about that? Yeah, a little absolutely. Bit? Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So that was right when COVID happened. Mm. Um, and it was like an emergency thing. It was not like a, Oh, it's something we'll deal with at some future point in time. It was like, we just found this out and thank God it's actually through the Creighton model that Napoli now teaches. That's why she yeah. does. Mm. Cause it's such a powerful model. And now she's a fertility care practitioner intern. Um, it, because it's so powerful for her and she wants to empower women, even if it's yeah. not for fertility purpose, just for you to know your body and like mm -hmm. your overall health, it's just, it's just amazing. And it, it's really powerful for married couples. But anyhow, that's a little plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, that we found out right away, like in March. And then like the doctor was like, you need to have surgery like right away. <clears throat> so the following week in March, and this was right when COVID was hitting in 2020, she had that surgery. And this was at Ascension Rochester where we just had Augustine. So that was really redemptive too, to be in the same place, go to the same mm -hmm. chapel. And I remember specifically, like this is just a, a personal kind of consolation was I was, this chapel was only, is just my, I was just, I was the only one in it when Napoli was going in her surgery. I was the only one in it, just praising and worshiping and listening to Stephanie Gretzinger. And there's a song <laughs> called Confident. And mm -hmm. it's, I'm confident that you will see me through, you know, and, um, whether that means that we don't have any children or have children. And, and it was just so powerful. Uh, nobody came and got me. Mm -hmm. I all of a sudden, like in the presence of Jesus, I felt like I could hear Napoli's voice, like, like Jordan come. Mm -hmm. So I went to the room and she just got out of surgery and there she was. And she actually said to the doctor, like, where's my husband, Jordan? <laughs> you know, where's Jordan? Uh -huh. And so like, that was a consolation right there. Like Jesus was like, you know, even in this cross, you guys are in it together. You know, like obviously Napoli went through a ton, um, mm -hmm. but we were in it together and Jesus was very present and we had full confidence. And um, we bring this up often, uh, Napoli that day of her surgery, Jesus gave her an image of her handing her um, her ovary mm -hmm. and he handed her a, a child. Mm -hmm. And then a year later, and on the day of Easter of 2021, we had Zelly Marie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was like, we would go to adoration and that was a consolation for, for the two of us just to know his nearness and his faithfulness mm -hmm. and his faithfulness, not in a way of like, I know you're going to give me children. It was yeah. more so like you're present, you're working in the midst of this, no matter, no matter what. And, um, infertility is a very, it's a, it is a cross, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we have good friends that struggle with that. And it's, it's such a cross. Um, 
but uh, Jesus' faithfulness in the midst of that, like I will be with you in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your suffering, um, and I'll, I'll be there. And that was a consolation for us is to be present with him um, and just to be silent with him too. And then after having kids, it was, what's the perfect Thanksgiving other than the Eucharist? Like, mm-hmm. I can't say thank you, God, a million times, and that's sufficient. It's, it's only me uniting myself and my family to the Eucharist for how good God is. Mm-hmm. That, that is the only thing that is sufficient to say thank you to God is his son wow. and the Eucharist. So good. It's striking to me that your firstborn son yeah, his name is Augustine. Yeah, he's my patron saint. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, as you look, yeah. as you look, kind of back over your life and mm-hmm. how good God has been from bringing yeah. you from one place uh, mm-hmm. to another. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, what does that do in your heart as you mm-hmm. as you look at just God's power in your life? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, and that's the and this we're in Lent right now, and one of the things that I in the midst of my Lenten practices that have been really powerful is uh, each day remembering my like God's testimony in my life. Mm. Reading scripture, worship, testimony and declarations. Like that's been so powerful to live in his freedom, to live in his joy, to live in his presence, even uh, you know, to be another sacrament to the world. Um, that's been really powerful. And so each day remembering God's testimony in my life is overall encompassing and seeing uh, in the Napoli Zelly, who's named after St. Teresa's mom, St. Zelly's, that's another powerhouse family that we're close to. <laughs> and then uh, St. Augustine, you know, and I ha- picked St. Augustine for my patron saint because of my mm-hmm. past, you know, and my brokenness. Kind of, he was smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of, I related to him. I was like, you know, um, so then seeing my, you know, Zelly and Augustine of uh, being just testimonies, even just in their name mm-hmm. and the presence that they carry, the love that they're, that they carry, even Augustine now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's just so powerful. And, and they're walking testimonies, you know, and God's going to do amazing things in their life. But this is part of their story too, is that the, how they even exist is through mm-hmm. God's mercy for mom and dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, I just, if you could comment on just the power of the Eucharist mm-hmm. in your, in your, um, you've spoken about the power of the yeah. Eucharist in your, your life personally, but the importance and power of the Eucharist in your, your life as a married couple. Yeah. There is no other place to be, to be transformed, to be united, to offer proper worship and sacrifice and to know his love for us than the Eucharist. Um, every other presence of of Christ is so beautiful to see him in the poor, to see him in each other right now, to see him in, in Napoli, but to be able to body, blood, soul, and divinity, the same one who sits at the right hand of the Father, to be that close to us and to uh, to continue giving himself to us. And just that radical emptying mm-hmm. of Christ uh, can just captivate a mind, can captivate a heart. And when you continue putting yourself in the presence of Jesus, the more and more um, he continues to conform yourself, you know, ourselves to, to him, to be more alive, to be, um, to be more like him and joy filled. And, uh, just, this might take a, a minute or two, but one of the powerful things that's happened during Lent is I've, it's been amazing. When I first had my conversion, a month after doing like horrible sins, my sins felt very far away, mm. very far away. I didn't have any sh- much shame about anything. Now, I feel like my sins that I've did seven years ago are really close. 
And so there's been like a ton of inner healing that's had to continue to happen every day. So one of my Lenten things is to do inner healing with Jesus. And so he's shown me so many amazing things, but um, because I still see my wounds ending up in self condemnation and self judgment, mm -hmm. criticism, shame, guilt, but also I portray that onto other people. I can become envious, jealous, mm -hmm. angry. I compare still like all these things. One of the most powerful things that's happened this Lent is Jesus showing me that the power of Thanksgiving mm -hmm. in our lives, which r literally flows from and to the Eucharist, you know, from the Eucharist, where is the perfect Thanksgiving to God for his great gift of creating us, redeeming us and sanctifying us, all of the above, mm -hmm. is from there to live in the joy that St. Paul tells us to, to rejoice always. Mm -hmm. I've like tried to make this part of your practice, like everywhere that you go, like, thank you, Jesus, for Leah. Thank you, mm -hmm. Jesus, for Father Mario. Thank you, Jesus, for Ron. Thank you, Jesus, for the seminary. Mm -hmm. Like when I've done that, even in the midst of like difficult things, thank you, Jesus, I have a crying baby in my arms mm -hmm. that's unconsolable. You are rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Your heart changes. The, I literally, it's broken off a lot of still like inner healing things that I had to go through. And ultimately the Eucharist taught me that. Wow. Jesus in the Eucharist taught me that in the midst of our suffering to th give perfect thanksgiving. And then to and then you give yourself more fully over to Jesus that your sacrifice in union with him at the mass is going to be even more powerful mm. because you're you're no longer tied down and weighed down mm. by so many things that you can just be like Thank you, Jesus, for even the sufferings. Mm. Obviously not for the suffering's sake, but that I'd be united to you in this, that you're working good in it, good in it. And so seriously, the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. And that has the Eucharist has taught me my own spirituality. It's not like this thing that I have to get to on Sunday or I would love to do adoration. It's literally a lifestyle. Wow. You know, to be able to be in Thanksgiving at all times, as St. Paul tells us, like in all circumstances to give thanks. For this mm. is the will of God. Yeah. <laughs> the will of God is for you to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, it is truly right and just mm. that always and everywhere we give thanks. And so that has been something transformative just this past week in Lent is the power of the Eucharist teaching us to be an always thanksgiving to God for each person that we encounter, each circumstance that we might go through, um, the good, the bad, whatever mm. it might be, to be fully alive and united with him and to bring that back to the Eucharist and to be fully mm. conformed to the Son. Mm-hmm. Praise Amen. God. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you've worked in, in your life, Jordan. Such a gift. Praise you, Jesus. Thank, Thank you, you for, for sharing your testimony and for joining us here on the podcast. Um, we're so grateful that you'd be willing to witness Grateful for you guys. Thank you guys so, so much for all that you do. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the I Am Here podcast. You can read and listen to more stories of people encountering Jesus in the Eucharist at IamHere.org. And we also invite you to share your story with us. I Am Here is a campaign by the Archdiocese of Detroit and Hello App in support of the National Eucharistic Revival.